Welcome to Night Night Bitch. I'm your host, Molly, your guide to awe-inspiring texts read by me or in the voices of their original creators. Please know I don't own any of this content. It's all freely accessible online and duly cited in my episode descriptions for your reference. This podcast is a creative outlet for me, so I don't update it as regularly. But if you'd like to subscribe to my other podcast, Back From The Borderline, I release two thought-provoking episodes each week. And now, let's dive into the episode. Welcome. It's time to rest your weary mind, unwind, escape the matrix, and explore the arcane. We live in a culture that is rapidly losing its grasp on myth and meaning. Exploration of philosophy, depth psychology, esotericism, the occult, myth, and mysticism have been proven to inspire awe. Such experiences of daily awe have been shown to be psychologically beneficial and aid in the potential expansion of consciousness. Each time we're here together, I'll select a reading, article, or sample audio that could increase your opportunity for such experiences. While you listen, you might fall asleep. You might wake up. You might do both. Maybe finding the perfect balance between awake and dreaming is exactly what you always needed. Night night bitch. This is the exercise for your own development process designed by you. You should be hearing my voice in your right ear. Remember the purpose, your purpose for this exercise. And begin your pre-preparation process now. The affirmation beginning, I am more than my physical body. Saint Francis, born Giovanni di Pietro Bernadore, was a mystic Italian Catholic friar. To this day, he's one of the most revered of all the saints and is remembered as the founder of the Franciscan orders. But what made him so special? Why does he stand out to this day? St. Francis is a perfect example of practicing what you preach. He gave up a life of wealth and luxury, of drinking and parties, to live as a beggar and devote his life to rebuilding the Catholic Church. This is his remarkable life story. St. Francis was born in Assisi, a duchy of Spoleto, Italy, in 1181. His father, Pietro de Bernadore de Morriconi, was a wealthy Italian cloth merchant and landowner, and his mother was from France. 
One of seven children, St. Francis enjoyed a fine, albeit overindulged, upbringing. As a young man, St. Francis was known to be very handsome, witty, charming, and pampered, but kind-hearted. By the time he was 14, St. Francis had become bored with education and had left school. He did what any spoiled teenager would do. He spent his time rebelling against authority, drinking, and partying. The expectation was that he would grow out of his rebellious phase and follow his father into the family business. It was clear, however, that St. Francis had no interest in the life of a businessman and was disillusioned with the world in which he lived. A perfect example is the story of St. Francis of Assisi and the beggar. It is said that one day, St. Francis was at the market selling cloth on behalf of his father. St. Francis was concluding a business deal when a beggar approached him and asked for alms. By the time the deal was finished, the beggar had left. Young St. Francis abandoned the stall to track down the beggar. When he found the poor soul, St. Francis emptied his pockets and gave the beggar everything he had. St. Francis's father supposedly flew into a rage scolding his son for abandoning the family business to run to the aid of a mere beggar. But St. Francis didn't care. St. Francis dreamed of being a hero and wanted to be a knight who went off to fight in foreign wars and returned as a war hero. He should have been careful what he wished for. In the year 1202, the regions of Assisi and Perugia went to war. The future of St. Francis of Assisi saw his chance and joined up with the Calvary, ready to fulfill his dreams of becoming a war hero. However, the war wouldn't exactly go in his favor. The war got off to a bad start for the troops of Assisi. They soon came under heavy attack and were severely outnumbered. St. Francis and his allies were forced to retreat from the bloodbath that ensued. The Assisi men who had stayed on the battlefield were swiftly and brutally put to death. The young, naive, not to mention inexperienced St. Francis of Assisi didn't last very long on the run from the troops of Perugia. The enemy forces soon caught up with him and imprisoned him. The fact that he was dressed like an aristocrat and wearing expensive new armor saved his life. It was obvious to the Perugia troops that St. Francis would fetch a decent ransom. He and the other wealthy prisoners were rounded up and taken to Colestrada. They were held in a miserable underground cell there. Francis stayed a prisoner in the dungeons of Colestrada for nearly a year. It's more than likely that the conditions he was kept in were grim, to say the least, and that the prisoners were direly mistreated. During his stint as a prisoner, it is believed that St. Francis contracted various different illnesses. It's also during this period that he apparently began receiving visions from God. Whether one believes these visions were a result of the illnesses or not, likely depends on their religious persuasion. 
Saint Francis of Assisi was eventually released in 1203 when his ransom was finally accepted. When he returned to Assisi, it soon became clear that he was a changed man. He was believed to be both physically and perhaps mentally ill. He attempted to return to his old, debauched ways, but he just couldn't climatize back into his old life. In 1205, he left Assisi and signed up to join the army of Walter III, Count of Brienne. During this second stint as a soldier, he experienced a vision that caused him to return back home and completely lose interest in his worldly life. By the time St. Francis had returned home for a second time, he was a young man in his 20s. He believed that he'd finally found his calling, not as a war hero or businessman, but as a man of God. He spent a lot of time hiding away in the mountains, praying to God for enlightenment. When he wasn't in the mountains, he was visiting old churches, asking for spiritual guidance and helping lepers. It was during this time that St. Francis of Assisi went on a pilgrimage to Rome and joined the local poor in begging at St. Peter's Basilica. Eventually, he came to the forsaken church of San Damiano, just outside of Assisi. It is said that while praying before an old Byzantine crucifix, he heard the voice of Christ. The icon of Christ supposedly said to him, Francis, Francis, go and repair my church, which, as you can see, is falling into ruins. St. Francis of Assisi took this instruction literally, believing Christ wanted him to repair the church of San Damiano. To pay for the repairs, St. Francis of Assisi returned to his father's store and sold a bolt of cloth as well as his horse. He did not ask his father for permission. When St. Francis returned to the church, the priest refused to accept the stolen money. Indignant, Francis threw the coins on the floor and stormed out. Knowing his father would be more than angry at his theft, St. Francis chose to hide away in the mountains for a month, hoping his father's wrath would cool. Unfortunately, St. Francis had miscalculated. His father had only grown angrier over the month, and when St. Francis returned to Assisi, tired and starving, he was promptly dragged home. His father beat him, tied him up, and locked him in a small storeroom. After being freed by his mother, Francis fled back to San Damiano. His father was not finished with him, however. St. Francis was soon hauled before the Bishop of Assisi by his own father, his father not only wanted his money back, but also sought to disinherit his own son. St. Francis responded by renouncing his father and his patrimony, which means all of his own inheritance. Some versions of the tale state that St. Francis threw off his clothes in front of the bishop and left the church in a rough tunic given to him by the bishop. This was the turning point where St. Francis left behind his old life of wealth and privilege. 
and consciously chose the life of a beggar. Over the next two months, he traveled the hills surrounding Assisi as a beggar. He then traveled to a local monastery where he worked as a scullion or low-class servant. St. Francis then moved on and visited Gubbio, where a friend gifted him his iconic cloak, girdle, and staff. From Gubbio, he returned to Assisi. Once back in Assisi, he quickly got to work repairing the church of San Damiano. He traveled the streets of Assisi begging for stones he could use to restore the church. He then carried those stones all the way to the church and single-handedly rebuilt the church piece by piece. His work wasn't done with the completion of San Damiano's restoration, however. Over the next two years, he restored several other ruined chapels, including San Pietro in Spina and the Chapel of St. Mary of the Angels. This last chapel became his favorite, and it was where he would later choose to live. Once again, he returned to nursing lepers when he wasn't restoring chapels. In 1208, St. Francis attended a mass at the Chapel of St. Mary of the Angels. The sermon that was on that day was on the commissioning of the Twelve from the Book of Matthew. The gospel told Jesus' disciples to go and spread the word of God. St. Francis of Assisi was inspired to do the same. He decided the Catholic Church had become too corrupt and its teachings too bloated. He wished to return to a simpler form of preaching. In his poor man's robes, he traveled the local countryside, teaching people the ways of penance, brotherly love, and peace. St. Francis had no license nor authority to do this, but he didn't let it stop him. The teachings of St. Francis of Assisi soon began to attract followers. By the end of the year, Francis had 11 followers. They all lived together in the deserted leper colony of Rivo Torto, just outside of Assisi. They lived a simple life of wandering the mountains and spreading St. Francis's teachings. Eventually, St. Francis took his followers to Rome so that he might found a new religious order. Pope Innocent III was impressed with what St. Francis had done and informally admitted the group. Then, they were tonsured. This meant that the new order was safe from accusations of heresy. They were told that once St. Francis's order had grown in size, they could return for an official audience with the Pope. The Franciscan Order was officially founded on April 16, 1210. The Pope had experienced a dream in which he saw Francis holding up the Lantern Basilica. He took this as a message from God that St. Francis was genuine. This was not to say that St. Francis of Assisi enjoyed unanimous support within the Catholic Church. Many saw his teachings as both unsafe and impractical. His various Eccentricities, such as preaching to animals, earned him the nickname, God's Fool. Many believe that in 1224, St. Francis of Assisi received a vision that gifted him the stigmata of Christ. These are marks that resemble the wounds Christ received from being crucified, including holes in his hands from the nails and a wound in his side from the spear. This made St. Francis of Assisi the first recorded person 
to receive the wounds of the stigmata. Skeptics do not believe that these were holy wounds, however, due to the fact that St. Francis had spent years treating lepers. It had been claimed that the wounds were actually symptoms of leprosy rather than a holy sign. Whatever the truth, the wounds took a toll on St. Francis of Assisi's health. Over the next two years, his health steadily declined. He died on October 3rd, 1226 in his hometown of Assisi. In his final days, knights were sent to guard him. It was widely believed that he could be canonized after his death, and there were fears that relic hunters from nearby towns would come and steal his body due to the value of such holy relics. On July 16, 1228, Pope Gregory IX declared Francis a saint. The next day, the Pope visited Assisi to lay the foundation stone for the Basilica of St. Francis. St. Francis of Assisi was buried under the Basilica in 1230, but then quickly moved again so that his body would be hidden from relic hunters. After multiple campaigns to locate the body, the sarcophagus of St. Francis of Assisi was rediscovered in 1818, and a new crypt was constructed which allowed the relics to be displayed. Whether one is religious or not, the tale of St. Francis of Assisi is an inspiring one. He was a man who abandoned a life of luxury to do what he believed was right. In an age when the Catholic Church was infested with corruption, St. Francis fought against it. This made him somewhat of a controversial figure. His enemies pointed to his various illnesses and used them to explain his eccentric behavior and alleged visions from God. Whether true or not, this does not diminish the good that he did. Ultimately, St. Francis of Assisi was the epitome of practice what you preach, at a time when the Catholic Church was doing the exact opposite. While many church figures lived in the lap of luxury, St. Francis of Assisi abandoned earthly pleasures to do what he believed in. For that, he deserves to be remembered, regardless of one's personal beliefs. One aspect of St. Francis of Assisi that is not often discussed is his incredible connection with animals. Stories abound of how this great saint could communicate with animals and actually felt deeply at one with all of creation. I went digging for some of these stories, and here is what I found, originally recorded by Thomas of Solano during the 13th century. Francis was no stranger to walking great distances to share the good news of God. One story tells us that Father Francis and his companions were making a trip through the Spotello Valley near the town of Bagania. Suddenly, Francis spotted a great number of birds of all varieties. There were doves, crows, and all sorts of birds. Swept up in the moment, Francis left his friends in the road and ran after the birds, who patiently waited for him. He greeted them in his usual way, expecting them to hurry off into the air after he spoke, but they didn't move. Filled with awe, he asked the birds if they would stay a while and listen to the word of God. He said to them, My brother and sister birds, you should praise your creator and always love him. He gave you feathers for clothes, wings to fly, and all other things that you need. 
It is God who made you noble among all creatures, making your home in thin, pure air. Without sowing or reaping, you receive God's guidance and protections. At this, the birds began to spread their wings, stretch their necks and gaze at Francis, rejoicing and praising God in a wonderful way according to their nature. Francis then walked right through the middle of them, turned around, and came back, touching their heads and bodies with his tunic. It has been said that the brothers who journeyed with him stood and watched all of this in amazement. He then gave them his blessing, making the sign of the cross over them. At that, they flew off and Francis, rejoicing and giving thanks to God, went on his way. Later, Francis wondered aloud to his companions why he had never preached to birds before. And from that day on, Francis made it his habit to invoke all birds, all animals and reptiles to praise and love their creator. And many times during Francis's life, there were remarkable events of Francis speaking to the animals. There was even a time when Francis quieted a flock of noisy birds that were interrupting a religious ceremony. Much to the wonder of all present, the birds remained quiet until Francis's sermon was complete. On another day, a brother brought a rabbit who had been caught in a trap to Francis. Francis advised the rabbit to be more alert in the future and then released the rabbit from the trap and set it on the ground to go its way. But the rabbit hopped back up onto Francis's lap, desiring to be closer to the saint. Francis took the rabbit a few steps into the woods and set it down, but it followed Francis back to his seat and hopped back up onto his lap again. Finally, Francis asked one of his fellow friars to take the rabbit far into the woods and let it go. Finally, that worked. Apparently, this type of thing happened often to Francis, which he saw as an opportunity to praise the glory of God. If the simplest creatures would be so endowed with God's wonder, how much the more so to we humans? Fish were also known to obey Francis. Whenever a fish was caught and Francis was nearby, he would return the fish to the water, warning it to not be caught again. On several occasions, the fish would linger a while near the boat, listening to Francis preach until he gave them permission to leave. Then they would swim off. In every work of art, Francis called all creation. He would praise the artist, our loving creator. Perhaps the most famous story of St. Francis is when he tamed a wolf that was terrorizing the people of the town of Gubbio. While Francis was staying in that town, he learned of a wolf that was so ravenous that it was not only eating and killing animals, but people too. The people took up arms and went after it, but those who encountered the wolf perished at its sharp teeth. Villagers became so afraid they were terrified to leave the city walls. Francis had pity on the people and decided to go out and meet the wolf himself. He was desperately warned by the people, but Francis insisted that God would protect him. A brave friar and several peasants accompanied Francis outside the city gates. But soon, the peasants lost heart and said they wouldn't go any further and went back. Francis and his companion began to walk on. Suddenly, the wolf, jaws open, charged out of the woods at the couple. Francis made the sign of the cross toward it. The power of God caused the wolf to slow down and close its mouth. Then Francis called out to the creature, Come to me, brother wolf. In the name of Christ, I order you not to hurt anyone. 
At that moment, the wolf lowered its head and lay down at Francis's feet, meek as a lamb. Francis explained to the wolf that he had been terrorizing the people, killing not only animals, but humans who are made in the image of God. Brother Wolf, said Francis, I want to make peace between you and the people of Gubbio. They will harm you no more and you must no longer harm them. All past crimes are to be forgiven. The wolf showed its assent by moving its body and nodding its head, and then, to the absolute surprise of the gathering crowd, Francis asked the wolf to make a pledge. As Francis extended his hand to receive the pledge, so the wolf extended its paw and placed it onto the saint's hand. And then, Franz commanded the wolf to follow him into town to make a peace pact with the townspeople. The wolf meekly followed St. Francis. By the time they got to the town square, everyone was there to witness the miracle. With the wolf at his side, Francis gave the town a sermon on the wondrous and fearful love of God, calling them to repent from all their sins. Then he offered the townspeople peace on behalf of the wolf. The townspeople promised in a loud voice to feed the wolf. Then Francis asked the wolf if he would live in peace under those terms. The wolf bowed his head and twisted his body in a way that convinced everyone he accepted the pact. Then once again, the wolf placed its paw in Francis's hand as a sign of the pact. From that day on, the people kept the pact that they had made. The wolf lived for two years among the townspeople, going from door to door for food. It hurt no one and no one hurt it. Even the dogs didn't bark at it. When the wolf finally died of old age, the people of Gubbio were sad. The wolf's peaceful ways had been a living reminder to them of the wonders, patience, and virtues and holiness of St. Francis. It had been a living symbol of the power and providence of the living God. I find the story of St. Francis to be quite fascinating, mainly because it's an example of how when the Catholic Church put its stamp of approval on things, these mystical experiences and things like speaking to animals and having visions were deemed a-okay by the Catholic Church. However, many others at that time who had similar experiences were deemed heretics and burnt at the stake. These are the ways we should look critically and ask questions about the history of mystical experiences. But there is much we can learn from St. Francis of Assisi, the man who truly walked the walk, who truly wished to respect all living creatures on planet Earth, to live in harmony with himself and his God. Thank you for venturing into the unknown with me. Full details about the selected text are available in the episode description. Selected readings on Night Night Bitch are for the purpose of research and study, entertainment, discussion, and consciousness expansion. The views and opinions expressed in the included readings belong to the original authors and creators and may not necessarily reflect my own. The episode description also contains links that will allow you to join the community on social media and support the continued production of this podcast. 
don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast player so that you're alerted when new episodes are released. In a wonderland they lie, dreaming as the days go by, dreaming as the summers die, ever drifting down the stream, lingering in the golden gleam. Life, what is it but a dream? Night-night, bitch. <laughs>